Welcome to In Conversation. I'm Tim Becker. In Conversation features Dean Michael Horswell and faculty from Florida Atlantic University's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters, talking about research and creative activities that span the arts, humanities, and social sciences. The way we think and interact with the world around us is often shaped by our culture, upbringing, and values. To unpack that, we often turn to philosophy, something that Dr. Clevis Headley would know a lot about. Dr. Headley has spent nearly 30 years at FAU in various roles, serving as the Chair of the Department of Philosophy, Director of the Ethnic Studies Certificate Program, Director of the Masters in Liberal Studies, and Special Assistant to the Dean for Diversity. He was a founding member and served as the first Vice President and Treasurer of the Caribbean Philosophical Association and has published in the areas of Critical Philosophy of Race, Africana and Afro-Caribbean Philosophy, Pragmatism, Philosophy of Language, and Analytical Philosophy. Today, he will be discussing a recently co-edited book on George Yancey and current manuscript on race and philosophy. He joined Dean Horswell in a virtual meeting in May 2022. Good afternoon, Dr. Clevis Headley, and welcome to End Conversation. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here to talk to you today. Great. So I always enjoy starting out this conversation with a question to all our professors, and that is how they found their passion for their discipline or their area of research. So how is it that you became motivated to become a philosopher? I really love that question. And one of the reasons why I love it is because I'm at the close to the end of my career in a sense. When I originally started college, my intention was to become a priest in the Episcopal Church, but I discovered very quickly that a lot of my classes were profoundly boring. And the one class that I found to be very, very interesting was philosophy. And that started my 40-year love affair with philosophy. Mm, that's interesting. So I remember back in my undergrad taking philosophy classes, a lot of my professors were either former priests or other uh, from other religious denominations. Uh, so I guess it's maybe the, the common questions that both religion and philosophy address sometimes. They do indeed concern themselves with a set of basic fundamental uh, questions. But as you know, in, in popular thinking, the idea is that becoming a priest is the highest calling possible. But I like to believe that becoming a philosopher is indeed the highest calling and not being a priest. Ah, I see. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right about that. And so that calling has brought you to FAU, fortunately for us, and you've been a professor here for nearly 30 years. That's right. Starting at FAU in 1993. That's great. And so over those years, of course, you've had many uh, different projects. Today, we're going to talk about your most recent book, which is entitled George Yancey, A Critical Introduction. And this was uh, co-edited by you and two other professors, uh, Kimberly Doucet and uh, Joe Fegan, and it has a foreword by Judith Butler, who, of course, is a well-known philosophy outside of philosophy, philosopher outside of philosophy, um, even in literary studies in my field, of course. So tell me about how you got involved in, in leading this project and, and, and how it uh, came about. Two things motivated me to become um, active in this, pro in this uh, project. First, the first concern has to do with the originality of Professor Yancey's work. Professor Yancey uh, decided in a very creative way to break away from mainstream analytic philosophy 
and instead of focusing on issues of a theory of meaning and a theory of reference that would be applicable to concepts such as race and gender, what uh, Professor Yancey instead did was to turn to a, a, a method or a school of philosophy called existential phenomenology, and he tried to ground race within the flow or the context of lived experience. A second reason why I thought it was interesting or excited to, to uh, participate in the project is the transdisciplinary nature of the project. That is to say, philosophers tend to remain within the discipline of philosophy. But what uh, Professor Yancey, uh, what he does in his work is that he draw on different disciplines and bring those different approaches and perspectives to bear on his philosophical work. Mm. And of course, uh, many of our listeners may know him for his uh, column in the New York Times. That uh, is he's, correct. He's a prolific uh, writer, philosopher, teacher, I believe he's a professor at Emory University. That's correct. That's correct. Um, and of course, I read his, uh, I think it's called The Stone. Is yes, it? right. In, in the New York, New York Times, Times I, yes. I read that frequently. So what a great project to work on his contributions to philosophy. So when you say he grounds his philosophy in the lived experience, experience uh, could you maybe talk a little bit more about why that's an innovation in the field of philosophy? Well, yes. The reason why it is innovated is because one, the kind of traditional approach, kind of like dry logical analysis or micro logical analysis, I think in some sense, when you take concepts out of context, you kind of like you destroy them. And when we then talk about turning to life experience, so for example, you can say, well, how is it that a concept of race become meaning? Why is it that it sustains meaning or maintains meaning? And one can make, I think, a very strong argument to say, well, it maintains meaning in terms of certain kinds of social cultural practices. And so once we look at those kinds of practices and, uh, and, and live the experience, we see how the concept is full of meaning as opposed to the kind of dry logical analysis that philosophers traditionally tended to adopt. Mm -hmm. And would you say his greatest contributions are on issues of race and philosophy? That is definitely the case. And uh, Professor Yancey is kind of original and that although he has a very strong focus on matters of race, he's also very much cognizant of issues of gender and how those two things go together. Mm. So he would, has been doing intersectional analysis. And that's right. That's perfect that one mm. can say that he's mm. one of the leading voices at that kind of intersectional, intersectional space in philosophy. Mm. So when you started the project, how did you go about choosing the, the topics by which you organized the book? Because I noticed it's thematic, yes, uh, the yeah, way you yeah. go about his work. I kind of function as the token philosopher in, in the project. So it was a matter, of, obviously, of reading a lot of the contributions more than once. And then it became an issue, okay, you, you need to organize the final, the final text. How are you going to group the, the chapters? And there the, the, the decision was made to focus on the different themes in order to impose some kind of coherent structure on the project, given the fact that there were um, scholars writing from different disciplines. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what were the primary disciplines that uh, you represent in the book? There were definitely a lot of people in literature, religious studies, you know, education, history and sociology, and obviously Africana, uh, Africana studies and feminist studies. Mm -hmm. 
that is quite a a, a range of, yes. of different disciplines represented and uh how has the book been received so far the latest review that i saw was a very 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 positive review so i would say so far the reception has been quite positive hmm. it seems very timely uh, especially because of the way uh, you framed it in these different, very important areas of sociology, education, uh, religion, and Africana studies. In this moment, this present moment, when terms like critical race theory have become very contested uh, in our politics, at least, in what ways does the book address those important issues? Yeah. Well, you know, fortunately, the book, or unfortunately, the book was published before the current attack on, on critical race theory. But I think that, again, what's original about uh, uh, Professor Yancey's work is that he doesn't remain blindly within the uh, professional, says, requirements, per se, of philosophy. So he's also done some work in religion. So one of the original things that he has done is to borrow, borrow from religion the concept of tarrying and transport it into the field of critical race theory or discussions about race. So there's this whole notion about as we confront issues of race and racism, there's this notion of it's tarrying, staying late into the night and working hard in order to work through these particular uh, you know, uh, concepts. So I did. I, I'm glad you brought up that term because it brought. When I was reading the book, I, I, I was um, taken by it, yeah. and I wasn't precisely sure where it came from. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I want to make sure our leaders or reader uh, listeners, I should say, are hearing the term. So it's tarrying, T A R R Y I N G, yes. which I had never yes. encountered necessarily in a theoretical con yes. uh, context. And so, what is that all so about? So in a religious context, is like praying over the night, uh, staying up, you know, and praying. So here in this, con in this context thing, when we talk about tarrying with this concept is again, instead of the kind of the old kind of artificial notion of conceptual analysis, the um, suggestion is that we really have to work hard. Mm. There's a lot of investment of time and energy. Um, it's not easy work in terms of trying to probe these critically probe these concepts mm -hmm. so that's this notion of tarrying that is not going to be easy I right? see. it's difficult philosophical work it also brings to mind that maybe it's uh collective work or community work part of in it, some ways that's that's an excellent point in that at, at the core of professor jansi's work is critique of modern notions of liberal individualism where people tend to see themselves as confined cells cut off from other people. So he makes it very, very clear that in confronting or working through issues of race and racism, it has to be a collective project. It has to be just kind of a collective transformation and one individual can't do it, so to speak, right? It has to be, has to be a, a collective project. And what he also adds to this is the notion of a relational ethics, ethics as relation and not simply I am an individual, I have my rights, and I have the rights to do certain kinds of things. Hmm. So relational ethics, that sounds uh, familiar to what we were just been living through, for example, in the mm -hmm. pandemic with yes. some of the ethic, ethical questions mm -hmm. that have come up about, uh, you know, my individual behavior versus 
know, protecting the collective, protecting community, and right, right. in, in my own individual decisions. Exactly. Um, so he so the so the book addresses some. It, of it addresses issues. that. So in that, and when we look at the issue such as the persistence of racism, it can be just simply the victims or the perpetrators at opposite ends of the spectrum, so to speak. It has to be people coming together, admitting to their common vulnerabilities, and there may be an element of forgiveness on the part of others. So it's this notion of working together, absolutely. Mm. Wow, that's fascinating, fascinating. Well, well, I'll look forward to uh, learning more about Georgiancy's philosophies and uh, your interpretations of those uh, those philosophies. So, um, Dr. Hilly, let's move on to discuss perhaps your, one of your next projects. Yes. Uh, I understand you're working on a, a manuscript tentatively titled Race, Philosophy, and Being, right. Working Through the Contestability of Race and Philosophy. Yes, yeah. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this new project. Well, very quickly, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to do is to, again, work beyond, in some sense, similar to Yancey, but to work beyond uh, common approaches to issues of race, racism, but also you can, one can include issues of gender. And what I'm doing is I'm going to use certain developments in the philosophy of chemistry and to some extent the philosophy of biology to transform the way how we think and talk about these kinds of issues. So that's the, I, I would call it the original contribution of, of that project. Hmm. And uh, the the term contestability in your title, mm-hmm. um, what, could you maybe expand on what that means yeah. uh, for us yeah, more, uh, non-philosophers? Yeah, there, there's, yes, gladly. More than often, uh, people have a very kind of absolutist conception of philosophy or purest conception of philosophy. And that kind of philosophy seems to suggest then that philosophy only exists in the Western in the Western tradition. So what I want to do is in the sense of saying, well, if we're gonna be able to talk about meaningfully and sensibly or in a sensible manner about issues of race and gender, we're gonna to have to rethink philosophy, so to speak. And in rethinking philosophy, then I join people like John Dewey, who talks about reconstructing philosophy, right? Having a critical philosophical perspective about the nature of philosophy itself. So the contestability of philosophy is to say, look, there is no one absolutist conception of philosophy, and we have to be able to articulate and to welcome different approaches and conceptions of of philosophy. This actually reminds me of a, a, a recent book called taking philosophy back. And the whole idea was to say, look, you have philosophical traditions in China, in Asia, in Japan, in India, and places like that. And we need to get away from some of the more ethnocentric conceptions of philosophy that survive in the Western world. Hmm. So it's expanding our relationship from our place of being. In this case, we're here in South Florida. They're influenced by the Western, but also by non-Western cultures when you think about the metropolitan area where we live, uh, the many different peoples who come here from all over the world. So your project would be welcoming of other philosophical traditions as a way of of maybe uh, understanding the Western tradition in a deeper way, Mm -hmm. but also maybe looking at alternative understandings of the great questions. Right, great questions and also also articulating alternative conceptions of philosophy itself. So for example, some people may say, well, if you were a Platonist, 
uh, philosophy is concerned with the realm of the forms and philosophy is concerned with this kind of transcendent, eternal realm of being. But on a more kind of a reform or reconstructive view of philosophy, again, following John Dewey, one may says, well, no, the job of philosophy is to address the problems of human beings, right? That's a different conception of philosophy. And, and so, so in that view, we place philosophy in a different context. It uh, pays attention to the basic fundamental problems that confront human beings living in this actual world, in a world of space and time. Do you believe uh, non-Western philosophical, philosophical traditions have uh, addressed the human problems better or in a different way or in, in kind of a comparative mode of analysis? Yeah. How do you come down? Uh, certainly, they have addressed uh, the problems of human existence in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily better, but I think we can say innovative ways and ways that we can learn from, from, from the example, just as they can learn from our, from our example. So I, I like that question because I think the assumption is, and I follow people who would argue like uh, Alistair McIntyre, philosophical traditions can either be healthy or unhealthy. Anytime a philosophical tradition cuts itself off from other traditions is a sign of decay. A healthy, flourishing, vibrant philosophical tradition will open itself to other traditions. It will connect with other traditions. Mm. Interesting. interesting. And we talk about Western philosophy yeah. as that term has been around mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for ages, obviously. And I'm just curious, to what extent do we know that, that what we posit as Western philosophy mm-hmm. is really a tradition that is in, has been always enriched from other traditions, not just the Mediterranean, European mm-hmm. kind of uh, focus? But if we go back in time, can we trace... Uh, influences, for example, from Asia or from Africa or other places. Some people, yes, some people have made an argument that, in terms from a historical perspective, certainly they talk about Egypt or the Islamic tradition. But I think that the more important and exciting thing is that now there are current philosophers who are intentionally and deliberately bringing those traditions into the conversation or bring them into. Uh, yeah, into conversation with Western, with Western, uh, Western, with Western tradition. So it could be African philosophy or Afro-Caribbean philosophy or Latin American philosophy. Those are direct attempts to to bring Western philosophy and these non-Western traditions into into uh, dialogue. Hmm. So in your book, uh, in this book you're writing now, race, philosophy, and, and being, uh, are these sort of the topics that you will be exploring, or in what direction do you think? No, this this project is more kind of a, a little bit devious. It really, what, what should I say? It confronts uh, some of the developments within mainstream philosophy and to show why those developments or tendencies are mistaken. So, for example, very quickly, one of the core ideas in mainstream philosophy that pertain to or relevant to issues of race with the whole notion of natural kinds. So this is big debate that... There are these natural kinds in the world, things like gold or water, and that these things exist totally independent of, of us. They're just out there in the world. And the assumption then is that we can only consider race real if races are natural kinds. And the answer is, well, there are no races out there, natural kinds, so races debunk. What I'm trying to do is to argue that that whole project, for very technical reasons that I can't reverse right now, 
is just simply misleading. And what we have to do, again, get back to this whole issue of how we engage and think about concepts, we have to appreciate the fact that concepts are human creations. They are constructions. And those concepts, concepts to the extent that they are human creations, that they're human tools, human artifacts, we have to keep them within the stream of human existence. When we sort of take them out, it's as though those concepts die. They they lose, they, they become meaningless. Mm. So that's part of the trust of the book. Mm. So you're still, you're taking a constructionist approach to the category of race. Yes. Yet positing as just as real, if you yes. will, yes. as any natural natural kind quote unquote natural kinds there. these oh. fake natural kinds are supposed to be out there i see okay Great. and by the way we'll add what people feel to to appreciate is when we refer to something as a construct sometimes people are inclined to think that it is not real hmm. but if we were to look at it cities are human constructions languages are human constructions and it's hard to destroy those things we tend to build cities on top of cities. So I think sometimes the constructions may have more reality than what is supposed to be natural. Mm, right. Well, it's a fascinating topic and one that, uh, again, is timely, given some of the debates that have heated up recently yeah, in, exactly. our, in our national politics and really nas- uh, international yes. politics when it goes to, comes to race. And so earlier you mentioned Afro-Caribbean philosophy, yes. and I, I can't let us go today without alerting our listeners to the fact that you're one of the important Afro-Caribbean philosophers. I know you've been in that group. There's a group of these folks that have been working for many, many years. And I know you're one of the uh, members of of that group. And so what do you believe Afro-Caribbean philosophy can add to these conversations? Mm -hmm. Is there something specific coming out of that work that you want to recuperate and bring into the conversations. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's already happening. It has yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, but what are the salient issues that you see? There are some similarities, but I think that, to be honest, I would have to say that the core issues that constitute the field of Afro-Caribbean philosophy, for the most part, are going to be a little bit different. Now, so but, but anyway, despite that, let's have some common ground and say, well, look, one of the basic fundamental questions that comes that appear in, in, in different philosophical contexts is the question of selfhood, selfhood. What does it mean to be a self? And this is something that is paramount in Afro-Caribbean philosophy, given the history of the Caribbean, right? Where you have uh, societies that were created specifically for the purpose of slavery to produce sugar. Then you have the imposition of a European culture, and then you have African survivals. And the question is, how do you make sense of all of this seemingly seeming chaos? So uh, one of the, the core issues then that kind of like, sort of like defined then the tradition of Caribbean philosophy, one issue among other issues, is the question of, how are what's the relationship between self and society and the whole issue of history? And there are two dominant schools of Afro-Caribbean philosophy or Afro-Caribbean thought, the poeticist tradition and the historicist tradition. The poeticist tradition represented by people like Derek Walcott and um, I think Wilson Harris would argue that you must have first a transformation of consciousness, inner consciousness before this a change in the world. So any change in, in the society for the better must occur in self, in material consciousness before this, con- this change in the, in the material world. 
The historicists take a different approach and argue you must have change in the external and the material before you can have change in the individual. And this is kind of a sort of a back and forth in terms of which approach one uh, one takes in terms of sort of making sense of some of the core issues that define Afro-Caribbean philosophy. Hmm. Of course, part of it too, Afro-Caribbean philosophy is giving voice, not only says to the African element, but we talk about Indo-Caribbean philosophy in terms of people coming from different philosophical traditions and being transplanted in the Caribbean. And then there's the issue of the role of a feminist discourse within Afro-Caribbean philosophy. So uh, these are some of the outstanding issues. Mm, mm. Yeah. And so I understand you have a, a, a fine, another project that relates to bringing those concepts into a, into a book on, on Afro-Caribbean uh, philosophy and and the, what you call the philosophy of existence. That's that's correct. That, that, that is that, that, that's correct. That's that's correct. Right. Uh -huh. in, in terms of. Um, the idea that philosophy should be informed by human existence or see philosophy as embedded within human existence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, that's fascinating. Well, um, I can tell you're extremely busy with all these projects uh, that are fascinating. And I know our students really appreciate bringing uh, this research into the classroom. And uh, we're very proud of the philosophy department, the major here at FAU. For our listeners who enjoy philosophy, uh, the major, Dr. Headley and his colleagues also edit a journal of student work on philosophy and often have lectures uh, here on campus. And so if you've enjoyed today's conversation, uh, I, you should come out to campus and meet Dr. Headley and, and his colleagues and uh, taste for philosophy in, uh, here at Florida Atlantic University. Thank you, Dr. Headley, for joining me today. Well, thank you for your support of me through the years, and thank you for your support of the department. You're much welcome. You've been listening to Dr. Clevis Headley and Dean Michael Horswell of FAU's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters, In Conversation. They were recorded in May of 2022. In Conversation is a production of FAU's School of Communication and Multimedia Studies. I'm Tim Becker. All of us thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us for another edition of In Conversation. Follow us on Instagram at AL in conversation or email us at icpodcast at fau.edu. We would love to hear from you. And listen for In Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.